This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditch the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I'm so excited to speak with Elena, who is a full-time traveler and the co-founder of Traveling Bites, a blog where she shares resources, experiences, and opinions about long-term travel. Elena and her husband started their journey like many of us, striving to live the American dream. But one day, they woke up and realized that they wanted to do something more. So they left their corporate jobs and started their own business in order to live a nomadic lifestyle while working on the road. Listen on to find out how Elena and her husband left the American dream to do long-term travel. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Elena. Hey, Elena. How are you? Hi, Debbie. I'm fine. Thank you. So before we get to all of your tips and tricks, can you give us a little bit more about your backstory and why you live an offbeat life? Currently, I am a full-time traveler. My background is probably up until seven years ago is fairly common. Well, I was um, I worked in IT industry in the United States for about 12 years. It was a nine-to-five job. I guess that's what they call American dream. You know, like having a house, having a car, uh, going to the going to the office every day, and it's uh, you know be- became a bit boring, I guess. So in 2010, I quit full time job and started my own company. Actually, with my husband, we started our own consulting company, and with that came an idea. Hmm, while we having our own company, why do we need to stay in particular place? why we cannot move from place to place. Nothing prevents us. Uh, So this is how it all started. And we moved from the East Coast, where we lived for years and years and years. Our first big move, first big trip, if you will, was across the United States to Seattle, where we stayed for a year. It was interesting. It was something new. But, you know, like appetite comes with eating something lovely. Uh, and we decided, well, why not go somewhere wider, <laughs> see the world. <laughs> so in 2013, our first stop was out of all places, Thailand. So we decided, you know, go and have the world across. And we ended up in Chiang Mai, which is the, as they call it, digital nomad capital. We stayed there for half a year, uh, learned a lot. Um, and since then, we're just traveling around the world. That sounds like an amazing life from living the American dream, as everyone says, to living your own dreams, to living this digital nomad lifestyle, becoming location independent, and also moving all over the world. You you had a small child back then, too, when you started doing this, right? No, no actually, she was. Uh, we had a child, sorry for interrupting you, but we had a child when we were very young, oh, and we okay. were not so young anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know, like young at heart, obviously. Uh, but I think actually part of our lifestyle, the idea that we can afford this lifestyle is because actually our child is a grown-up adult right now. And she lives on her own. 
that's a good thing. Yeah, now you have no no nothing to keep you there technically. Yeah, and probably it was a part of this decision because I would surely I I know that some people they do travel with children and I admire them for that full heartedly, you know. But I'm not sure, you know, homeschooling, I'm not sure if I can do it myself. How did you and your husband take the first steps? Why did you do this? How did you decide to be location independent and to take your life and just uproot it and start traveling the world? What what were the first steps that you did in order to accomplish this dream that you had? Um, okay, so first step would be, and probably people usually sort of skip it or forget about it, is uh, it's a lot of research. Because I remember that uh, actually fairly clearly that this idea, we actually got this idea out of all places from Reddit, just reading. <laughs> Somebody posted, hey, I'm digital nomad. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What is that? What is nomad? That's sort of understandable. What is, what is digital nomad? And remember, it was actually about nine years ago. Then first time we sort of noticed that. So it was not that common back then. Uh, so we did actually quite a lot of research about, you know, what's involved, what would be, what are the pitfalls and what's, you know, what is good, what is bad. Because there are some very fine points about, like, for example, when you're traveling, what do you do with your finances? You know, how do you handle your banking? What do you do with, and this is actually pure Americans, what do you do with your health insurance? So it's a lot of research went into that, which was um, interesting, but a bit um, tedious. Though I do like to do research, so <laughs> that was not that uh, bad. And then we sold the house, as, you know, it's probably goes with all, all these this stories, you know, all, sold the house, sold all our possessions. And we ended up with literally, we have, well, by now we have three bags because we discovered that uh, we have a lot of uh, electronics which we need to carry with us. So our luggage grew from two to three bags. But essentially just put everything in these bags and uh, that's how it all started. Uh, okay, well, uh, again, to be, to be fair, after we sold the house and we rented the place for a while, a while, um, like I said, you need to uh, figure out your financial situation, you need to figure out what your, you know, address would be, because at least in the United States, you have to have some address. So it was this figuring out how to do that. Uh, so I would say that between the time when we started, just started thinking about it, it took probably half a year to organize everything. It was not that fast, actually. Yeah, I mean, and there's also a lot of things that you don't realize that you need to think about. One of the things you mentioned is how to do banking when you're international and health insurance, of course, especially mm -hmm. for Americans, that's really important. There's so many little details that you didn't think about and you took for granted when you're in your own country that you really have to start thinking about when you're traveling abroad, like, for example, your visas and all of those things. And we're also going to give you more details on all of these things during our extended interview with Elena because we're going to talk about how to do slow travel. So I'm really excited to dive deeper into this also with you, Elena. <laughs> now, when you were starting to travel with your husband and you're doing traveling full time, what was the biggest setback that you guys encountered and how did you usually handle it? Interestingly enough, when we just started back again, like I said, it was seven years ago, the 
biggest setback was the quality of the internet. Because for us, uh, we do work on the road, so we couldn't afford long interruptions with internet. And again, for example, back in Chiang Mai, uh, there were some issues with uh, reliability. Sometimes it just, you know, you wake up in the morning and you don't have internet connection and I have a meeting. And I cannot even, you know, apologize that it won't happen just because internet doesn't work. And even going to your nearest cafe, where they're saying that there is a Wi-Fi, but it still does it not working. So interestingly enough, it was not about, you know, just feeling uncomfortable in a new environment or climate or something. It was just one particular thing. It was internet connection. With years, it got better. And right now, it's definitely it's a huge difference. We don't have any issues. No matter where we're going, that's fine. So, Elena, let's go to your current business right now and your current job. You are you and your husband are consultants. So can you give us a little bit more information on exactly what it is that you guys do and how you were able to transition that into digital nomadism with this career that you have? Luckily for us, we are both in tech field. So these kind of professions are meant to be meant for digital nomads, like software development or uh, social media management, um, marketing. Uh, with some clients, they felt that if you will be on site, it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see it anymore. I think that that actually changed in the past uh, five years. Companies and uh, Clients are much more comfortable with, you know, having uh, meetings, uh, virtual meetings, um, Skype, uh, Hangouts, Google Hangouts are pretty much common. Uh, So this was, and I would say that probably we, again, got lucky that uh, with our clients, we didn't have, they were fine with, well, location doesn't matter. As soon as you can finish and you can deliver what you promised, it was fine. Eventually, with years passing by, uh, we ended up with just a very few clients. We've been selective with what we're doing. It comes to what is our goal. And our goal, we decided that we do love to travel. And I, uh, and we're both thinking that, you know, we will be traveling as long as we can. So our goal is not to become a millionaire, if you will but to actually have enough income to cover our expenses, uh, travel expenses, so we can live our, we can have our lifestyle. And for that, we can be selective with clients, so we can drop some and choose the ones who we are comfortable with. So, but uh, again, I guess every person just making his or her own choices. I do know that some people, some digital nomads actually, they want to grow their wealth. So that's uh, probably a bit different story. Was it really difficult for you to find a client, especially when you're on the road? I'm sure you amassed clients before you started traveling, but what about when you're on the road? How do you get new clients and make sure that you keep them, especially with the time difference or maybe communication issues? Um, Actually, that's a very good point because I forgot to, uh, we actually built our client base back in the day when we just started our business. Again, probably it's uh, 
good old networking. And, but uh, interestingly enough, we continue with the pool of people who, uh, with whom we work. Interestingly enough, we chose, again, not to expand our business, but uh, because we want to keep it small, just two of us. You cannot buy it too much. Uh, and this is, again, goes back to because we decided that what we need with our income, we need to cover our expenses. And what we're doing is just to sustain us with our lifestyle. Um, if in the future we may change it, though I don't see why, and decide to you know, grow our client base, that would be different. But for now, we just working with the pool of people who we chose um, some time ago. Now, Elena, you have been doing this for quite some time, and I'm sure you've met a lot of people. What has been the worst advice that you have ever received? Uh, you know, actually, interestingly enough, that would be when I was still working full time. One of my bosses back then, uh, he really wanted me to grow with, you know, go into executive world to become a more traditional way of becoming a manager and eventually becoming an executive. And I realized that I just don't like it. I tried to do it for a while. And actually, that was the reason why I, at some point, just, well, enough is enough. It's probably a bit unusual for Americans because they, generally my impression that work is everything mm -hmm. and then just at some point i you know like i want to see the world work is not really everything and actually i can tell you that it's interesting again with for example with our clients i see that you know like people in australia they don't work uh, 12 hours per day they work hard but also there is a life outside same with sweden uh, portugal but very many uh, countries which I saw, it's just a different take on, you know, what is important in your life. So I'm glad that I didn't follow this advice of uh, going this usual path, corporate path, if you will. And it's different for everybody. And it definitely takes a different type of mentality to become a digital nomad because you become your own boss and there's more responsibility, even though you have more freedom but you also create more responsibilities for yourself and most likely working twice the amount of hours sometimes that you used to do <laughs> in your day job. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, actually being a digital nomad requires a lot of discipline. If you lack this self-discipline, then I believe that you just cannot succeed because it's just so easy to, you know, get off your working track doing something else and that usually leads to some unpleasant <laughs> consequences so this is definitely you you work hard but if you don't have this path you don't see this path that's becoming even more difficult now elena how are you able to create income from the start and how do you continue to create income today Actually, these days, we, uh, our roles changed um, a bit. Uh, slowly, uh, my husband still continuing software development. He's doing it full-time as 
when we started. I'm still uh, this, you know, operations of our small company, but on top of that, um, I'm moved more into um, a travel travel planning, just because traveling, having a nomadic lifestyle, as you might imagine, requires a lot of planning, research. Um, you need to do logistics, and obviously we don't have travel agent just because you, know, you cannot have it when you're <laughs> jumping around the world. So I'm sort of like this travel agent capacity. Uh, so I moved more into travel-related tasks and also writing for uh, writing about our travel stories, our um, advice on um, our blog. So this is more my side of the business right now. Now let's fast forward to 20 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? I would like, and I'm promoting heavily, I started promoting heavily, what I call slow travel. Traveling around the world, I see how much tourism actually ruins the world, if you will. <laughs> not to make it too dramatic. Obviously, it's not like climate change. But uh, unfortunately, and uh, I want to explain what I see, what's the difference between tourism and slow travel, for example. Essentially, with tourism, people come into whatever, any place. They stay there just for a day, maybe for a week. They just there to make a picture and to come back to their home and say to their friends, to, oh, I went to Rome, oh, I went to Kenya. And they are not really uh, caring about environment or caring about local people or trying to understand that cultural differences sometimes. And it does create a lot of tensions. A very good example, actually, we've spent three months in Japan and we lived in a very, uh, in a small town, not in a touristy location. And I could see how I, I can understand actually why some Japanese people they don't like tourists. Just because they are such different cultures, and Westerners sometimes they just trump in without consideration. So I guess what I want to leave as a legacy is to teach people that you need to be careful, you need to travel is wonderful, you have to do it, but you need to do it wisely. You need to be smart about what you do. And you need to learn instead of just, essentially, instead of just visiting, you need to learn. That would be, you know, epitome of what slow travel is. We see it so much more with people because like you said, people just want to take photos for Instagram and social media, and they don't really take advantage of what they can learn from the people and the culture. And it's not just about taking that pretty photo, but really learning about the culture itself and what the place is really about. And if you're just there to do that, then you might as well just stay home and Photoshop yourself. <laughs> if you're not going to experience the place firsthand, because honestly, for me, the beauty about traveling is not just the places that you see, but also the culture and the people that you experience and being outside of your own little world. And it's actually, it's interesting, um, in Beirut, near Beirut, there is a famous caves taking um, any, you know, camera or phone with you. So when you get inside, you, I can tell you, first, uh, probably a couple minutes, it's a really weird experience. I guess we just got so used to our, you know, phones, smartphones or cameras, you feel like naked, literally. But after that, 
it's actually fantastic because nothing distracts you and you are just feel the how wonderful you know nature is because it's uh, absolutely fantastic experience it's wonderful beautiful cave and because you're not distracted with you know just taking you know pictures every second uh, it's absolutely different experience, which we, I, I can imagine how people probably who traveled, I don't know, actually even whatever, 30 years ago, they had very different experience that they could concentrate on whatever they were seeing. And this is what uh, this lack of technology review actually allows you to um, appreciate. So it's actually probably more places needs to somehow do it. And it's a different experience when you're actually experiencing the place without a camera and really seeing it with your own eyes, not just from the lens. That's really special. And it's interesting that we have to explain this to ourselves again, because a few years back, we didn't have to, we just experienced life. And now it seems like we can't do it without a camera or our phone with us. Yeah, it seems like everybody right now, they just glued to their whatever they have, usually smartphones, (laughs) just cannot part with them. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's why I like podcasts, because you re- really have to listen, <laughs> not just watch. It's true, actually. You have to concentrate, you know. Yeah, this is what exactly. we, yeah actually, that's one of these things which uh, amuses me that, um, you know, right now our attention span is sh- so short that uh, with uh, visiting any website, it's literally just five, six seconds. And then just go into the next and next and next. It's such a short period of time people really need to go back to ability to concentrate. So now, Elena, is there any question that you wish people asked you more of? Well, I guess the question probably which people need to ask, well, probably not me, but uh, themselves before they jump in into this. What's your goal when you go in into this? What, what do you want to achieve? Because quite often I see, and it, sometimes it amuses me, but it seems like it's fairly general you know, description of digital nomad is person might travel half the world and end up in a completely new location, but some people tend to create this community and just stay within community. Uh, it's probably more comfortable, you know, you have somewhere in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, you have a group of people who speak English and who have more or less similar cultural uh, traits. So there is no need to go outside to be curious. And I think that this is actually, it's not good. What's the point of traveling far away to essentially end up uh, in the same environment? You can stay at home. (laughs) That is very true. I mean, you already took that leap to go outside of your hometown. Now you're traveling. Why should you stay in that one specific group of people? It's all about experiencing new things. Even if it's slow going, you should at least try. And it's always going out of our comfort zones that will lead us to more experiences and more chances in our life. And that's the really exciting part of all of this. Yes, that, that, that's the point. Because it's, and I saw it sometimes, and you know, you, you stay in, in uh, Vietnam and you see the same people, you move to, I don't know, to Hong Kong. And again, oh, hi. And it's again the same faces. <laughs> well, you, you need to break out of that. And you need to, you know, 
there are way more things when you're just you know having a beer uh, at some pub. You, you you can go outside and you can learn like what's the difference between you know Chinese culture and Vietnamese culture, even why food is different. You know, Elena, if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Travelandbites.com. I'm always there. Uh, there are some um, actually what we discussed today. Some topics I covered there, and well. Um, I'm still covering and adding more and more. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, probably the best uh, thing is travelandbytes.com and um, there is a contact form there. So I'm always reachable there. Uh, we also on social media and if I would love if they want to tra- follow us on Twitter where I'm fairly active. On Instagram, I used to be very active, but it seems to be that... Somehow I got disappointed with Instagram. <laughs> it just became a... I think a lot of us are. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm happy that you understand me. It, it seems like uh, this polished pictures of you know myself against some you know wonderful attraction is uh, a bit you know it needs to be a bit deeper than that. <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much, Elena, for speaking with us today. And I am really looking forward to checking out more of your adventures on your website. And we're also going to put a link to that on the website. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, David. It was wonderful. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Elena. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Elena where she shares how to do slow travel full time.